Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Let's get right to your question there around how is it a differentiator? And so why I say it's the great differentiator is intuition does two things. It allows us to read out what's happening in real time right now. And it also allows us to anticipate the future. So it's got two really amazing functions right there. So what, I, what do I mean by the first one? So let's say I am a manager and I come into a team meeting and right away, am I tuning into my, am I getting out of my head? Maybe I have a whole agenda prepared and what have you, but then am I able to tune into my body, into my senses and, and feeling out what's happening in the room with my team? And right away, I might notice that three people are checked out completely, four people are have their arms folded or looking really discouraged. And am I going to use my intuition to notice and track all of that and then be able to respond in a different way versus just kind of ignore all that and go ahead with my agenda? How you day, how you day. That was the voice of Rick Snyder. And Rick is a two-timer. This is the second time. He was episode number 363, and now is today's episode. And in this previous episode, we talked about intuition, but today we even dive into that more. How do you harness your intuitive intelligence? How do you get to that level where you're able to make decisions on a more nuanced level? How do you create space for intuition to find you instead of you finding it? And how do you draw the distinction between your intuition and your inner critic? Now, this is obviously something I'm really, really, really passionate about. I think in a world that's increasingly diverse and, and, and seeking inclusiveness and seeking to create a culture of belonging, the idea of understanding how to read uh, people, read, you know, um, lead with your intuition as opposed to being reactive is way more important now, especially with the backdrop of what we see in certain political climates. And so I hope you take today's lesson to heart and I hope that you practice everything that you hear. But I also want you to read his book. You know, Rick is, a, is an incredible writer. He's had experience living in several continents. And his book, Decisive Intuition, is one that I feel like can serve as an advisor for you in business, an advisor for you in cultural competency situations, and just an all right guide to life as you're leading people and teaching people how to connect across cultures. All right, enjoy the episode. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of As Told by Nomads, and today's guest is Rick Snyder. Now, Rick is a former guest on the show, so it's always good to have a uh, guest come back on. And since we last talked, he's got this amazing project, his book, which is out, is Decisive Intuition. And for those that need a reminder, Rick is the CEO of Invisible Edge, which is an international consulting company that serves as trusted advisors, mentors, and strategic partners for forward-thinking executives and companies. We're going to be talking about his book, Decisive Intuition, but also how to connect to a deeper intelligence. Why is that important? How can you listen and trust your intuitive intelligence or your intuition and how that separates us from um, you know, most of the pack? Welcome to the show. Tayo, so great to be back here. Thanks for having me again. This is fantastic. Uh, the pleasure is mine, Rick. So a lot has happened <laughs> since, yes. we, since we last talked. Uh, you've moved and you have a new book. So catch us up on, on what's been going on. Yeah. So when we last spoke, I was living in France. And um, uh, that was the reason, the reason why I moved out to France was to actually write my book. Um, I had this intuition literally to go out there by the south of France by the water um, and be inspired by a whole new location, a whole new perspective, being in a different culture. And it was amazing for me. 
And so I got to actually sit down and and write the book that was inside of me to, to come out onto the pages and eventually got published. And so it's great that I finally get to share it with you and the world. Yeah, no, I love that. I love that. And um, I remember you were, was it Three Hats? That was the organization where you, you were That's, with it. That, yeah, my former company was Three Hats. And so now I've created a new company, Invisible Edge. Mm-hmm. And this is really dedicated to bringing intuitive intelligence to the mainstream. Um, just like Emotional Intelligence came out 24 years ago, that book by Daniel Goleman. Yeah, yeah. And I, w- I would say, even though that book has been out for a while, the business crowd hasn't really caught on to emotional intelligence until maybe the last eight or 10 years. Yeah. yeah. And now it seems like it's a no-brainer, especially for our generations and the next generations. But, you know, um, intuitive intelligence to me is the next level of nuance about our capacity and our potential. And it's not just about emotions, but what are all the ways that we receive information and that we can use that for making better decisions. That's so fascinating for me. I've been doing a lot of reading and uh, research, especially as I'm writing my book as well, which is on connecting across cultures. And one of the things that, um, one of the sections I have in the book is really about trusting and, and developing your intuition so you can be a, you know, a better, you know, uh, I guess, deducer, for lack of a better word. And I had this section where I was talking about, you know, Sherlock Holmes and how he, <laughs> Um, you know, was able to to trust his gut and trust his intuition. So I'm curious as to understand how that becomes a great differentiator in business. Because when you talk about business, intuition isn't the first word that comes to mind. And you have like a six step process to harness that, and then you you dive into different ways so you can explore the directional, social, and informational intuition. So I'm I'm curious to hear everything. Yeah. So let's get right to your question there around how is it a differentiator. And so why I say it's the great differentiator is intuition does two things. It allows us to read out what's happening in real time right now. And it also allows us to anticipate the future. So it's got two really amazing functions right there. So what, I, what do I mean by the first one? So let's say I am a manager and I come into a team meeting and right away, am I tuning into my, am I getting out of my head? Maybe I have a whole agenda prepared and what have you. But then am I able to tune into my body, into my senses and and feeling out what's happening in the room with my team? And right away, I might notice that three people are checked out completely. Four people are, have their arms folded or looking really discouraged. And am I going to use my intuition to notice and track all of that and then be able to respond in a different way versus just kind of ignore all that and go ahead with my agenda? which is typically what happens out there a lot of times. We might have a sales pitch. We might have a presentation we're doing, but we're not taking a moment to check in with ourselves and check in with the audience. Yeah. yeah. And I know you, Tyler, you do tons of, um, I mean, that's what you do, right, is yeah. uh, speaking and pre- presenting. And as you know, a, a big part of that is engagement and feeling the space that's happening in, in real time. Yeah, yeah, and, and and you know, according to you, you believe that intuition enables us to read out in real time what's happening in our environment. So, I, I think you're saying it gives us more opportunities or or choices rather to to know how to respond to things, and you can sort of pick up on on what's going on while you're you're leading, talking, selling, or or interacting with someone. Exactly. In fact, in my book, there's a great story. This is a true story of a colleague that I know who uh, was presenting to a large tech company in Silicon Valley. And he was, he had this whole slide deck he had built for months and he was getting, and this was his big break to a really large company uh, globally. So he goes into the room, he's got his deck prepared and everything is ready to go. And then he right away, he sees that the whole crowd is like, you know, young, iconoclastic, rebellious. It's just not what a traditional slide deck was going to work for. And so right away, he put down his deck and he said, okay, he got recentered for a moment. And he said to himself, this needs to be a two-way TED Talk. Huh. And I, I just need to engage with these guys and ask them questions and get at their underlying needs of, you know, what do they really need here? What are they really wanting? And I can't do this typical lecture thing that I'm about to do. He put it down and it was amazing the kind of engagement and relationship he built in, in that, um, in being able to pivot in real time and he won the contract. And so he won this huge, 
um, you know, global contract with all of their offices in, in a kind of training he was leading, and it worked out impeccably. Yeah. Well, then, you know, Rick, that begs the question then, how can we harness our intuitive intelligence? Because you have a six-step process in your book, but I imagine people listening, you know, they've heard your definition of it and why it's important, but then a lot of times the basic ability to predict the future can be met with um, skepticism. So I'm very curious to see if you can help us, you know, show us how we can actually uh, harness that skill into our our day-to-day life or develop it rather into our day-to-day life. You got it. And so here's one thing. You're right. Of course, there's a lot of skepticism out there by intuition. Um, And what's interesting also on a side note is when you talk to most uh, successful entrepreneurs or even really successful salespeople, they'll tell you they're using their intuition all the time. Um, They might not just they might not call it that they might call it something else, you know, gut instinct, gut sense or, or some other word they have for it. But the people who are really successful know that they have had to cultivate a relationship with themselves and learn how to trust and read out people, read out them, the situation. Um, and so that's what's interesting to me. And more, more and more data is really supporting this, that our, with neuroscience, um, so many new experiments about how we actually make better decisions when we include our intuition. Huh. But to get, to get to your point about how do you actually develop it? So one of my favorite ways is this idea that we all have different intuitive languages. And so here's what I would say, Tayo, is thinking about, you know, how has your intuition spoke to you in the past? So when you go into hindsight, when you look back in your life and you think about a time where you had a a strong sense about something, um, can you think of anything that comes to mind? When I had a strong sense of something, can I think of anything that comes to mind? Like a strong sense of something that maybe you did or did not listen to that ended up, if you didn't listen to it, maybe you regretted it or if it was right on the money and you're like, you know, I have to go to this school or I have to move yeah. to this area or. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. I could, I could think of a lot. I could think of a lot of things, especially, I mean, with diversity and inclusion is sometimes oh, I shouldn't have worked at that company. Um, right. or I, yeah. Or like I chose money over that, or that doesn't align with my values or that person seems, you know, it's just trust your gut. You've lived here. So you know how people can sort of, uh, take advantage of something or I should have spoken up there many times. Yeah. That it comes up. Okay, so let's just take one simple example. So if you could think of one that comes up around whether it's diversity, inclusion, or anything that just comes to mind about, like you had just said, I shouldn't have worked for that company, or can you think of one like that? Um, I think it was, it was when I first started out in, in this space, and I was um, eager to just get noticed initially. Yeah. So, and I was in a meeting, and I, and I, you know, I just heard, you know, some of those red flags that you hear, like, oh, we just you know, this is just a check in the box. You know, we just like to do this so we don't get sued. And, um, and I was like, okay, okay. I was just nodding in my head. I was like, no, that's not how it, it doesn't sound like you want this to be a a long lasting approach. But, you know, I I think I I was cut for cash at the, I was, I had little cash at the moment and I was like, this would just be good in my resume. And so I just went with that. Um, and it turned out that they did prove me right because I wasn't able to do what I wanted to do in the company. And even though I got paid, I felt like it was, um, I felt like I was almost cutting myself while I was uh, consulting. So, yeah. Right. And so when you, so when you first got that clue in that first interview, maybe, yes. um, what, how, how did your intuition speak to you? Did you get like a feeling or did you hear an audio sound? Did you see an image or how did that come to you? I had an uneasy feeling. Um, okay. and, and it was speaking to like, are you being a hypocrite? <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. So that, okay. it was like a quiz in my stomach. That's how it normally shows up in me. It's like something in my stomach. Yeah. Okay. So for you, uh, this is really important is that the stomach is going to be one of your biggest indicators. And so one of the ways that our uh, intuitive language speaks to us is through our senses and, and what we feel. So usually um, when I get hunches about things, it's often through what I feel and what I sense mm. uh, inside of me. Other ways that people get uh, intuitive hits are usually sometimes images. Sometimes they'll actually see a visual or an image about something to come. Uh, Some people get audio messages. They'll literally hear a message from their deeper guidance about, you know, go left or right or don't take that job or whatever it might be. And then lastly, the other major language that I've been tracking with my research is just through dreams. So I've 
worked with business owners who get amazing intuitions in their dream states. Wow. In wow. fact, one of the guys, one of the uh, CFO CEOs in my book, um, he literally, he's a, he's a chocolatier. He makes chocolate. And he literally was given a visual visuals of schematics in his dreams of, of uh, chocolate equipment to build that is not on the market. And he would literally wake up in the middle of the night, see the vision, and then he would write out the schematic while he's in this semi-conscious state, go back to bed, and then he would literally build that machine, and now he sells that chocolate equipment into the chocolate world. Huh. So, so okay, so I have a lot of questions here. <laughs> okay, so, as you should. <laughs> so um, I have increasingly, by the way, um, I agree 100% with with, uh, with intuition and, and and this, but I guess as we get into your six step process and listen to your senses, it strikes me that we as humans have way more power than we give ourselves credit for, or we don't. And all we need to do sometimes is to listen, reflect, and observe with what we are we're doing. And it, the reason I'm saying this is because as I'm studying, as I'm writing right now, obviously, um, and, and you've written a couple of books. I have started to understand more. The more we we listen, reflect, um, observe before we act, the better our decisions become. But the more present we become, and the more that we notice. And I, the reason why I, I I reacted that way is always because as you, as a researcher, when someone validates a research that you've been or a hypothesis that you've been working on for a while, it seems really it seems really good to hear. So I am so interested as to how you then will take that to a business environment where some people might take what you said as woo-woo and then say, well, that doesn't give me direct profits now. Right. Um, really good question. And, and so we're already, we're actually doing that right now. Uh, we're working with companies uh, and developing their intuitive intelligence on their teams. But you're right. Let me give you a very practical example. Let's talk about sales. So one thing about sales is salespeople, uh, the numbers are right there. The numbers don't lie. And so what we have seen is we've seen sales conversion rates grow by 33% on average when we're able to train intuitive skills with their sales teams. So when we help develop intuitive intelligence and skill sets with salespeople, we're actually seeing them convert um, prospects 33% more than before we worked with them. And the highest we've seen is 150% increase. And so there's real metrics here that are happening. And so what does that look like? And so when we train people around intuitive intelligence, part of what you just talked about, about getting more present, that's a big part of it. Because sales is really all about relationship. And if you're not slowing down and in the present moment and really with your prospect or your buyer, and you're really listening to them on that next level, and you're even able to start to listen to what they're not saying or what they're not talking about. And how do you include that in the conversation? Mm. That, that's where you really deepen relationship. Yeah. And that's where you make the sale because this is all based on relationship. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's such a that's such a great point to make. So I didn't mean to interrupt you with that with my excitement. So not at all. <laughs> so in, in in your six step process, first thing is listening to your senses. Is that correct? And then um, what else? Well, yeah. So the so so yeah, the six steps. So the very first step is actually more of a a change of perspective. It's being more receptive. And here's what I mean by that: is so so often, especially in the, in the U.S. We're geared toward going after things like I'm going to go after, I'm going to be a billionaire. I'm going to achieve enlightenment. I'm going to, you know, get that five garage home, whatever it's going to be. I'm going to be in the NBA. We're so driven towards goals, but intuition doesn't work that way. And so what I like to say and what the chapter, the first chapter is called, the third chapter is called is you don't find your intuition. Your intuition finds you. Mm. Wow. <laughs> so what I mean by that is it's not about doing to achieve. You're not going to you're not going to find your intuition and hunt it down and achieve it, which is how we're normally wired. I know I'm normally wired that way. Um, and so it takes a perspective shift to be more receptive and to be more open. And it's like, okay, I'm not going to go after it, but what can I do to let intuition come to me? In other words, how do I get out of my busy mind 
and not check my phone every five seconds and really start to center and get more present in my life and, and slow down and use my breathing and ground. And so that's actually the second step is once you have the first step of be more receptive as far as your orientation, the second step is actually slowing down. And wow. You need to slow down because intuition operates at a different frequency. It's not as quick as our mind is. Our mind's always, you know, pitter pattering all over the place, a little bit neurotically, but intuition operates at a deeper octave. And so, when we can slow down and tune into that other frequency, that's when intuition can find us because we're actually making space for intuition to find us. Hmm. Okay. All right. If, no. if I'm crowding out all the noise with my thoughts and I'm crowding out all the noise on social media, checking my phone all the time, I'm not actually creating space for intuition to find me. Yeah. That's why meditation is so important. Um, Big okay. time. Okay. All right. Big What's time. next? So after you slow down, the next, uh, the next um, iteration here is what I call befriending your inner critic. Because what happens is as soon as you slow down, that's when the inner critic shows up and says, hey, what are you doing? Uh, we have five reports to get done by 8 o'clock, and you had that meeting at 9, and you didn't call back your partner. And so it's that chirping that's always going on in the background when we slow down. And so we have to learn how do we actually befriend our inner critic. And the whole idea is this, is I want to start to tune into the voice of my intuition, not my inner critic. And then how do I make a distinction between that chirping that goes on in my head and all of the narrative that's happening all the time versus slowing down to listening to a different guidance, a different wisdom that's inside of me. Wow. And for, for one way to make this easier to talk about is that intuition is found in the subconscious mind, not the conscious mind. So our, our logical, rational, conscious mind is a great tool, but it's not the end-all, be-all. In fact, we get information faster and more holistically when we can drop into our subconscious. That's why dream states, that's why our intuition can speak to us in dream states or in meditative states and mindfulness states, like you had mentioned. Yeah. Um, so anytime that we dis disrupt our conscious mind and, and deepen into our subconscious, that's the kind of work we do with business teams and leaders. That's what Steve jo That's why Steve Jobs, by the way, used to get out of the uh, Apple campus and walk around the block barefoot. When he was stuck on an idea and he couldn't figure out the innovative solution around something, he would literally change up the rhythm and walk around barefoot around in Palo Alto, California, around the office. And so what was he doing? He was tapping into his subconscious by slowing down, getting away from the computer, away from the team meeting, and literally allowing space for his intuition to find it. It's, that's, uh, yeah. Wow. Okay. And, um... No, I'm taking notes. Sorry, as you're talking, and then because uh, <laughs> this is this is so good. This is so good. And and then um, what so, what are the next steps after that? Yeah. So after I make so I call it befriending my inner critic. I need to learn how to befriend my critic so it's not so it's not hijacking my reality all the time. And I have a whole chapter about how do you do that, which is by the way not easy. <laughs> I can imagine Any, anyone out there who's got an inner critic like me. That's not easy. <laughs> so um, once you make peace with that, then what happens is then you're more settled in yourself to the next level. And you can start to listen to the more subtle messaging that you're probably getting all the time. And so the fourth step is what I call the body is wiser than your mind. And so it's how do you tune into your body? How do you actually start to listen to what we call our, your heart intelligence and your gut intelligence? And I'm not sure... The listeners out there, some I'm sure a lot of people know this, some people don't, but we actually have three brains. We have our gut brain and our heart brain, um, where there's literally a whole center of neurons and neurotransmitters, and everything that's found in the brain is also found in the gut and the heart. And so we literally have intelligence that we can tune into that's not just in our processor, our processorial unit up in our head. And so by sinking into the gut, and that's why we, when we talk about a gut instinct or a gut feel, that's where that comes from. And they say that that's actually our oldest brain, by the way. Uh, but there's also the heart intelligence. We, we literally can feel from our heart. This is an interesting little side note, Tayo, that um, when there's a heart transplant, what they've studied is that the new host that has the new heart, 
will have old feelings and gestures and even memories that came from the donor. Hmm. From the in donor? other words, the who so if there's a heart transplant and someone donates their heart to a new person, right? Right, right. Um, that new person is going to have the same similar gestures, emotions, and memories from the original donor. Wow. Wow. That does not belong natively to the new to the new body, if you will. <laughs> that that is so. Um, it's funny. I was I was watching. There was a show. It's called New Amsterdam. It's a medical show, and um, they were speaking to that effect. The main character had a sister who died, but her heart was in someone else, and it was like they had this connection, uh, which is interesting. Yeah. yeah, it totally happens. And so that's what I mean by the heart literally has its own intelligence, and huh. the gut gut literally literally has its own intelligence. And so, are you including? When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary that in your decision making. And so when we work with leaders, we actually have an intuitive decision making process where we do the normal pro and con type of list with your engaging your conscious mind and your rational mind. But then we also go into the body and we get the whole room into their body to actually activate their gut and their heart intelligence also. Wow. Wow. Okay. And so that's what I mean by using your body as the, the wisdom is, is in your body. And so the more that you, you really include your whole experience as a human being, you're going to get more, you're going to be open to more data around you. Yeah. And be more receptive to it. And that's why you started off this, the step, the six step process with actually opening your mind. Uh, exactly. Yeah. Um, exactly. Okay. And then the last two, the fifth step is now that I have uh, more of a connection with my body and I can sense and feel and use that as a tool, as it's meant to be, then the, the fifth step is, then how do I ask for guidance? How do I actually develop a relationship with my intuition that's a dialogue? And so there's a lot of ways we can practice that. There's some in my book that I mentioned there. But it's just really asking for guidance. And so, for example, you might be in that situation where you're in a company, and right away in the interview, you might be getting a weird feeling. And then maybe afterwards, you might ask yourself, is this a place that I want to be? Is this where I need to be right now? in the next step of my journey? Does this company feel right? Or, And then you, you'll get it. Eventually, the more you sit with that, you'll get a response, especially when you understand your intuitive language and start to listen for it in that way because you've been trained how to do that now. Yeah. Wow. The, very, the very last step is once you now have developed that relationship, the last step is actually acting on your intelligence, acting on your intuition. And how many times have we had a feel a feeling about something and we didn't act on it? Huh? Yeah. No. This is this is so good. So, so you at that point you've done every single thing to basically listen to your your intuition and everything. And the next step is to act because obviously it still stays in your mind. So you have to trust yourself um, at that moment. Actually, literally trust your gut uh, for the last step. Yeah, and there's actually in my my experience also is your intuition will actually atrophy like a muscle. It will wane if you don't engage it and you don't act on it because you're not honoring your deepest wisdom. Mm. Mm. So true. So true. So true. Okay. Wow. This is, this is okay. So I love how you painted that picture there. So then if you get to that point where you, um, you know, you, you do all these things and you brought up inner critic earlier. Yeah. We have to befriend them. I do imagine though that there are, roadblocks. Um, and I think I remember when I was going through your one page, you had said there was something like five roadblocks that, that, um, 
that, you know, sort of impede you from accessing your intuitive intelligence. So when the, what are those roadblocks one and how can we overcome them? Yes. Okay, great. So yeah, I've categorized them into five different roadblocks. And so the first one is in a way what we've already mentioned around the rational mind. And so once again, our mind is a beautiful tool. I love that I can do critical thinking and analyzing and projecting into the future uh, and what have you, but it also gets in the way of my deeper intelligence. And, and why is that? And one of the reasons is that the mind, if you really look at it, the mind can only analyze or think about the past or imagine the future, but the mind is not living in the present moment. It's only taking snapshots of reality right now, right now, right now, but it's not actually in experience. It's actually our greatest camera and processorial unit that we know until AI comes on fully online in about five years. <laughs> that's a whole wow. other conversation. That, well, yeah, I was going to be like, that's, that's a whole can of worms. <laughs> that's a whole other conversation. Yeah. But yeah. in the meantime, it's the most powerful processorial unit we know. And so what's happening is, once again, we have neuroreceptors throughout our whole body. And so if we are including our whole body experience, when we're feeling the room, when I'm in a conversation and, and we're completely engaged in a present, our mind is taking snapshots of what's happening and it can analyze things right in the moment, you know, very quickly or project what might happen in the future really quickly. But it's actually getting in the way of a deeper intelligence by using our whole body. And the problem is, we live in a time where we worship the mind, you know, and that's that's what happens. And so we don't respect the body. We don't respect, as a culture, we don't often respect um, the what what the value is in coming into our, our whole body experience. And I, I, of course, see that changing. I see you know, that's why emotional intelligence, that's why yoga, physical practice, martial arts, that's why all these are getting ingrained in performance and looking at how that ties into greater performance out there and greater profit also. And so we're seeing how that actually connects now. But it, I think we still have a long ways to go, in my opinion. No, no, you're right, you're right. And and the, the long way that we have to go, I think <laughs> when, when you bring it up the road, I don't know if you brought up some of the roadblocks, when you bring up the long way to go, I, I am forced to think about what's going on in our world today when we have elections and institutions. So whether it's, it's, whether it's uh, we're talking about sales, like you said, or leadership, or, or people connecting across cultures, a lot of times I have a hard time believing that some of these um, poor decisions that are being made are people um, trusting their intuition. I think it's actually people going against their intuition and following uh, a system that they believe they should somehow just randomly believe without a, a assessing themselves. And to further elaborate on that, I whenever I, I get into environments that might be perceived as hostile because my job is to sort of go into these environments and sort of talk to different people. Um, and I catch them in private moments. They're, they're always saying, oh, well, my parents told me that. Well, that's just the way I was brought up. And I, and I always push and prod and like, well, tell me what you think. And like, well, these are my values. And they'll tell me the values. And I, and I ask them, well, if these are your values, do you believe that everyone should have those values? And then they say, yes. Then I say, why is your behavior inconsistent with that? And then they go back to that. Well, that's just what I've been, I've been taught. And it's just to your point where I don't really know that a lot of people listen to themselves or critically think about what is happening to their subconscious uh, or, you know, so that's just my assessment. Um, no, you're, you're spot on. I'm, in my opinion, you're spot on. And that's, that's actually one of my roadblocks um, that, that I, I just call it the ego. And right. so, exactly. right? Yes. Yeah, it's like when our ego gets in the way. And so if we, just like you were saying, our ego is formed by our previous conditioning. Mm -hmm. So if I have years, if I have decades of conditioning of thinking a certain way, I'm not going to tune into my intuition because that's going to, that's going to threaten um, my worldview. Ah. Right? Because intuition yeah. doesn't um, shape to a culture or a bias or a prejudice. Intuition is, you know, what's happening in real time. And that's about, that's between life and life. It has nothing to do with our, our trying to um, manipulate, manipulate life. And so that's what makes um, intuition so threatening to the ego is the ego has its nice little story about itself, right? But a lot of intuition is going to threaten that. Yeah. 
That's true. That's true. So we really have to be able to talk to ourselves and be honest with um, our ego. I think if we if we don't learn how to release our ego, we don't um, create room for more possibilities. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah. Another another word. Another way to say that is if I'm always trying to control the situation, um, then I'm going against life. Yeah. I'm going against the rhythm of life and what wants to happen. And so my definition of ego is it's an embodied knowing that comes from listening to what wants to happen next. Yeah, 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 wow. Okay. So if, I, if I'm listening to, like if I'm a politician and I'm listening to, I'm in a town hall meeting and I'm listening to what people are wanting, like am I really listening to what where the trends are going and what wants to happen next? Or am I just stuck in my agenda? Am I stuck in my, my conditioning from being a child, from growing up, um, or whatever biases I grew up with? And so how am I actually challenging that and opening up my mind and my perception like we talked about? Or am I going to put my feet in the ground even deeper and just stick with my idea of how things should be? Exactly. Yeah. And it goes back to your, the first step that you, you had in uh, the six-step process, which is really committing to opening your mind. And uh, once we do that, uh, I think that that's a good way to uh, to let go of the ego. And um I guess the idea of also practicing being present uh, is is key to, a key for that. Okay, so that's an individual level. So yeah. think about I'm thinking now about business leaders, you know, yeah. who want to train people to do that, yeah, and, and try to build a whole team for greater impact. This could be tech teams, sales teams, um, <laughs> or even teachers for for students. How can you train people to to be better listeners of themselves and their environments? Okay, great question. So yeah, this is the most important piece for me in one way also is how do you, if you're a leader, how do you bring intuitive intelligence into your culture? How do you yeah. make your culture smarter and more conscious? And so the first step for me is leaders have to go first. And so is the leader leading by example? Are they willing to be vulnerable? Are they willing to not know all the information? Are they willing to listen themselves? And maybe, maybe nothing's coming to them right away, but they're staying with the question. Um, are they also staying open-minded, as we talked about, or are they just going with their old conditioning? And so I think that's really the key piece. And in today's world, we hold up leaders to a higher standard as we should, that it's not just what they say, but it's actually their behavior. Yeah, yeah. And as you had mentioned earlier, and so I think that's the first step is leaders have to go first. They're the ones who set the tone for their culture. That's true. That's true. I, I and think then, sometimes, yeah. so go ahead. Sorry, I, I didn't mean to interrupt. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah no, no problem. So, so I think that's the first step. In, so if you have a team or a culture that you're trying to increase their intuitive intelligence, A, is the leader or are the leaders really exemplifying that? And are they willing to listen to their gut, even if it's not a popular decision? And they're actually modeling some of that behavior. Um, and then number two, are they creating a sense of safety and trust in the company? And this is so important. There's a really interesting relationship between risk and safety. And what I've seen is the companies that are most innovative and are willing to take the biggest risks, it's because there's actually a culture of safety and belonging, a culture of safety and belonging in the company or in the department. And so... When a leader or a management team can make sure that everybody feels included, that no idea is stupid, that this is a true brainstorming session, that everything is possible and let's really go for it here, and no idea is too outside the box, that creates a culture where people can get more vulnerable and, and get quiet and listen to those, those ideas they might get that might seem so out, off the wall but they could be the very idea or the very decision that changes the course of the business. So true. Wow. So it starts with the leader. Starts with the leader. And then are they actually creating a culture that is grounded in safety and trust where we can talk about these things? We can have these conversations where if I say, hey, I get a, a gut sense about something and we're not going to shame them. Yeah. We're actually going to encourage that. Like, oh, and, and in fact, I've seen managers say, hey, guys, what does your gut tell you about this? And it's amazing the kind of directness you get back when you really ask that question. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like you, when you drop all the politics and you drop all the authority stuff 
and you say, hey, guys, let's just get really clear here. What does your gut tell you about this decision? Let me tell me in five words or less. And it's amazing what happens in those moments. And you raise such a great point because, you know, when we see a lot of the, the falls of whether it's big companies or political regimes or any of these things, it always comes down to what you said. It's, you know, the leader, if you look at the, look deep down, the leader was, wasn't consistently acting in his or her uh, in the right way. Rather, they were um, sort of going against what they should have been doing. And it was eroding the foundation, which caused dissent, which caused sometimes mutiny. And then there wasn't a, a, a universal type of corporate culture or government culture. And that just led to all these cracks that, you know, snowballed into, 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 into all these uh, dangerous things that we see in today's world. So, yeah. Um, oh, sorry. Uh, so, so I've been studying, uh, actually reading a lot of Yuval, who's the uh, author of Sapiens. And so, yeah. <laughs> and he says something that can be perceived as scary. You know, he talks about how we are, you know, we probably won't exist in about a thousand years or maybe a hundred years. And we are going to, we are actually becoming um, easily influenced by algorithms. Now I know yeah. you, yeah. And I know you study big, big data too. Where do you feel like intuitive and, you know, intelligence uh, plays a role into combating, I guess, um, algorithms or things that can manipulate our emotions and our thoughts? Yeah, in fact, um, I think this is a huge concern, and, and I'll just kind of frame it in the terms of AI, because AI is behind all these al algorithms. And so there's a, there's a big thing coming down the pipeline here that I think most of us are not really paying attention to. Um, and I, I just got really alerted to this more in the last several months, talking to a lot of conscious techies who are you know, like cloud architects or programmers or people in big companies who are very aware of AI and what's happening very fast. So here's, here's what I'm, I'm gathering. I'm going to write an article about this soon. Is basically, there's going to be a critical point. Um, they call it singularity. where And people are guessing maybe in about 10 years or so, there's going to be a point where AI becomes more intelligent than the collective humanity. Mm. That's, a big, that, that's a big moment in time if you really think about that. Because we think we're the smartest kids on the block. <laughs> yeah, true. Yeah. Right? Yeah. to get up there better than um, other social animals because of our ability to think about the future and stuff like that. Right, critically think and, and you're all those things. And so um, there's 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 going to be a moment where you know there's there's a uh, there's a neural network that is able to think faster, uh, process more powerfully, and perhaps more creatively. Also, that's going to be an interesting piece. So why do I say this? That's why I'm really pushing this right now around now is the time to double down on our human intuition. Because if we are going to work with and guide AI in a responsible way that actually is in resonance with life and the biodiversity of life versus dominating life and dominating us, um, we, it really begs the question, what makes us unique? Yeah, and you know, for me, that comes back down to heart, soul, intuition, emotions. Like, what are the things that really make us human and most human? And so, how can we learn to develop our own intelligence and skills in these ways, so that we can um, we can be symbiotic with AI, with whatever ends up happening down the road? Okay, yeah, it's uh, simultaneously. I, I like the call to action because I think many just i just think people need to be faced with that possibility <laughs> that reality because i'm sure there's some good things and i've had guests that have talked about ai on the podcast and they're good things there and they i just think it's important to really understand um how to continue to be human we can't lose yeah. our our humanness for lack of a better word and it's uh yeah uh yeah it's, it's potentially dangerous and we've seen the, the effects so Huh. Yeah, the, is, that's well. That's well said. It's like the the one thing we can't outsource is our humanity. No, no, not at all, and not at all. And the more we we become, I guess, robotic, um, it, it uh, we lose a sense of connection uh, to ourselves and to people that we live around. And um, this is I'm not bashing AI. I think AI has got a good. I'm not. This is not. But I do think that there's a dangerous part if we don't 
practice what you're saying. So I agree. And I'm with you that I think we're going to have incredible discoveries with AI and we already are. Um, that's only going to continue and it's going to be an integrated part of our everyday life even more. And let's not, let's not fall asleep on our humanity at the same time. Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, where can people find the book? It's, this has been incredible stuff here. Where can people find your book? Yeah. So wherever books are sold. So Amazon, Barnes and Noble, IndieBound, or any bookstore near you, um, it's out. And excited for you to dig in and tell me what you think. And um, if you're curious about the work that we're doing with companies and organizations around intuitive intelligence, you can go to our website at invisible-edgellc.com. Yes. Yes. All right. I'll put that in the show notes. Trust me. Um, Rick is up to some pretty amazing stuff. And um, I'd love to hear your thoughts. So we'll put the links to the book as well as, as, well, as, well as your website so that we can... Uh, bring back our humanity. It's very important. Uh, I'm um, with you. <laughs> uh, last questions before we close. How does it feel to be back in the States? You know, um, I, I, it's so weird, actually, because um, I've been here for maybe a month and a half now, after being in Europe for three and a, three and a half years. And I feel like a weird hybrid right now where I, 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 I see a global life for myself where there's something about being in Europe that's really powerful for me, but also being here in the States. And, and so I, I see somehow a life where I'm going back and forth and I haven't figured that all yet, but um, there's something important about a global perspective and a global lifestyle that feel, feels important for me and the work that I'm trying to do. So that, that part does fit. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And then the second question is, how has it been for you being an American in Europe, given what's happened in America since you were last year? Um, and now and it doesn't matter. I, this is not a, you can be whatever affiliation. I'm just curious as, as how Americans feel outside, uh, when, when they see what's happening. I'll just say most Europeans are shaking their head. Really? Oh yeah. yeah. And, and why, why shaking their head at what exactly? Like how it, that's what I'm always trying to understand. And this is obviously research for me as well, but I'm always curious about different uh, perceptions. <laughs> Yeah, you know, so yeah, I've been, you know, I've engaged with a lot of different people from different European countries and that whole area, and um, they're just like, really, what's going on with America, people? What's going on? What's going on over there, guys? Uh, <laughs> and and I think originally there was some shock uh, around just some of the change of policies and perspective and everything, and then just like, really, is this really happening? And and just um. A lot of disbelief in some ways. Of course, it's not everybody, but I would say the majority of Europe is really like, "Wow, this is like a this is a comedy show." Absolutely, it's, it, it, it's a comedy show and a horror show at the same time. <laughs> and 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 this is not even to say this is just American, because then you are also in Europe. Now we know about the Yellow Jackets in France, right? Yeah. Where so I'm I'm I phrase that initially from America's point of view. I'm also uh -huh. curious as to what you think about the, what's happening in Europe, because I'm saying this not to bash any particular country. I'm just trying to point to the sure. audience that there are yeah. many issues of these, what you're talking about, people sort of feeding into the, their worst human tendencies um, yeah. in the world. And I think your work is truly important, but it's happening all over where, you know, people's uh, instinct is to sort of, you know, attack or go the other way. And I'm wondering as someone that consults in a global level, if you really, I'm an, I'm an eternal optimist, but if you see like there's, a, if you see a silver lining at the end of this. Yeah, that's a good question. Cause you mentioned the yellow jackets in France. I don't know. I'm sure a lot of people know about that at this point, but it's so complicated because what, here's what I'm seeing is I think any extremism is a problem. And what I mean by that is extreme capitalism has a dark side. And, and also extreme socialism can have a dark side. And so that's what's amazing. Like in France, uh, like one of the things they're rebelling against is, you know, Macron is trying to um, trying to make the, co the country a little more um, in alignment with American ideals as far as not being as socialist. Like there, there's an example. Here's an example where if you have an employee that's not, you know, that's not working out for you and if you fire them in a couple months you still have to pay them for two years. Yeah. So there's a point where, you know, where's the line? You know what I mean? And so mm -hmm. it's so tricky, right? Uh, of like, what is the right balance between 
socialism and capitalism and and where is that mid zone that where there is a strong safety net for people and there's also encouragement for individual uh, enterprise also. Yeah. Uh, and, and so it's so tricky because I think we're all trying to find that mid zone somewhere. And it seems like when we go very extreme, then the pendulum goes the other way. And that's what keeps us in this, you know, uh, off kilter place, it seems like. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I think you and I are going to keep fighting uh, because <laughs> there, I haven't given up. And I believe that there is a balance, like you said. And I think when we live on the extremes, that's when we become um, dangerous to ourselves and we become more susceptible to other forces uh, yeah. taking over, I guess. So um, thank you so much. I, I have to ask you this final question, though. I asked you last time, but I don't know if it's changed. How do you use your difference to make a difference? How do I use my difference to make a difference? I love it. Um, I love that question. Yeah, I think um, it's really coming out of the closet with intuition. And and making that making that a normal part of our conversation instead of this kind of secret woo-woo hidden new age kind of thing that gets labeled all the time. Right. And so it's like, how can that how can our difference actually be normalized and respected? Because to me, that's the key to our genius and our innovation. I love it. I love it. This is Rick Snyder, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, I'll put I'll put everything in the show notes, but this has been a, a great conversation. Thank you for reminding us to connect to our deeper intelligence and also get back to humanity. So uh, thank you so much for coming on the show. And thank you. Great to be with you as always. Pleasure's mine, ladies and gentlemen. Till next time, use your difference to make a difference. You've just been listening to the As Told by Nomads podcast. For more ways to reach out to Tayo and to use your difference to make a difference, head over to www.tayoroxon.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 